Okay, Matt, we are back again. Finally had some football for each of our teams once again. Uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving weekend. I oh, think. it was a good Thanksgiving weekend <laughs> for me. Good All food. around. Um, football teams did well for both of us. Actually, all around, really. Um, just a pretty solid Thanksgiving weekend, I'd say. I had to work Black Friday, but... Yeah, I did not. Uh, still was able to follow the game for Miami, but... Let's start off with Thanksgiving first, obviously, the three games. We know the two teams that play on Thanksgiving. Um, it's just funny that your Thanksgiving is dictated on your sport, on how good the Cowboys do. But I guess that's just the reality of it, right? So... Luckily, it was a good Thanksgiving this year, right? I mean, just absolutely manhandled the Commanders, um, which is funny because I actually thought it was going to be like a close game. You know, like divisional opponent and Commanders, have they're just weird where like you expect them to beat the bad teams and they lose to them. You expect them to lose to the good teams, somehow beat them or keep it close, but nope was not the case this thanksgiving uh it was pretty much a blowout from the start so why don't you uh give us your thanksgiving uh rundown of how your cowboys did well i wouldn't say it was a blowout i mean 45 10 yeah the score looks like it was pretty lopsided but for three quarters i was kind of nervous i must admit because like you said it's a division game this is like the classic historical Thanksgiving matchup. The Well, Commanders, which were the Redskins before, and the Cowboys. This is like the historic matchup. They play all the time on Thanksgiving back in the good old days. And, uh, you know, I was expecting Washington to kind of come out, take their shots. You know, they're going to put up points, move the ball. And it was really about how Dak and the offense can just counteract that and be more explosive than them. And to some degree, they started off pretty well, I would say. Um, Dak uh, was a little shaky to start. He did miss uh, CeeDee Lamb for an open touchdown on the first drive. I was like, oh, no. Is this going to really be the day where he comes back down to earth and uh, the commanders just kind of linger around? Yeah, that was kind of the feeling I got early. But, uh, you know, once we got that first touchdown with Rico Dell getting into the end zone, that kind of really opened up Dak. Uh, he started hitting on the deep balls, and he connected with Brandon Cooks uh, in the second quarter. And then really, you know, they had a nice two-minute drive to close the half. And I thought that was such a huge momentum swing because Washington, they scored a touchdown previously. So they were kind of getting that momentum. You know, they're hanging around by halftime, but that was kind of knocked them Knocked them back a little bit um, with a nice two-minute drive. A little bit lucky. It was a tip ball that Jalen Tolbert, or not Jalen Tolbert, Jalen Brooks ended up catching. And then um, Tony Pollard finishing off that drive. But then, you know, the third quarter was just a little, you know, slugfest, I guess. Both teams couldn't really get that big conversion. Dallas had a couple critical fourth down stops. Uh, Tony Romo was kind of, not ripping into Washington, but he was really pushing for Washington to do a modified tush push because there was multiple instances where it's third and one, fourth and one, and they line up in the shotgun. 
And Tony Romo is like, if it's third and one, you know, you just need to muscle them. Just do what Philly does, basically. And, you know, Washington, with Sam Howell leading the league in passing at this point, they line up in shotgun. They just throw it around. They take a deep shot on third and one. So it's like, I guess I could say thank you, Ron Rivera, <laughs> you know, for making those kind of uh, not foolish decisions, but a decision that kind of let us off the hook a little bit. Um, but the fourth quarter is what the Cowboys have been about this season. Their nuclear capability to just break a game open, probably the best in the league, I would say. You know, they put up points, right? Dak gets hot, he finds CD, and then it's the defense that just really just takes this team to another level. When they turn the ball over, they get pressure with Parsons. You know, Hankins has been getting in there all night. And then obviously, you know, the record-setting interception by Deron Bland, he gets a pick six to really cap off the night. I mean, his fifth pick six of the season is NFL record. We're not even, we're only what, 11 games in, 10 games in? What is the record? Eight and three. So you got six more games to go, which is absurd. He might get another two more at this rate. I don't know. But that's what really was kind of the the joy of Thanksgiving was, you know, it was a classic Cowboys commanders rivalry game for three quarters, just two teams dueling it out, right? Close game. And then the Cowboys finally said, we're the better team. Let's put these guys away. And on a historical note, it was such a sweet interception. I mean, you could just see the joy on everybody's reactions on the sidelines. They showed Dan Quinn on the broadcast. He was just screaming out of his mind in the in the booth, <laughs> you know, for his guys. So that was really, you know, what made it so special. I think it was a historical win for Dallas. And at the time, you know, you're one game back in the win column behind Philadelphia. Uh, But obviously, that's not the case. But we'll talk about that game later on. But, I mean, this game really, I think the Dallas defense, they're kind of discovering some guys. Obviously, Deron Bland, a young guy, kind of making a name for himself this year. But Osa Odegizua is another guy. Had some critical run penetration stops. I mean, he's pretty under underrated. And he was actually in a trade rumor earlier in the season when the, you know, the Chris Jones saga was going on. I saw it was Osa and a first for Chris Jones. And I was like, as much as Chris Jones is that guy, I, I think Osa is, he's something, he's something. I don't think he's going to be Chris Jones, but I just think he's such a good fit for this team. And he's really kind of anchored the interior uh, in the trenches for us. So, Really, really just the overall good team win, um, you know, and it was capped off by another classic Cowboys Thanksgiving, right? You get Dolly Parton performing halftime. She kind of steals the show on YouTube and Twitter compared to the first game of the Thanksgiving slate with Jack Harlow, who absolutely got roasted by, by Twitter with that, I guess you could say setup or budget. <laughs> but you know that's Detroit, right? They're not gonna throw in everything for that. And then you know it's it's Jerry World. You know it's, it's got to be the star of the show. I mean they got the cheerleaders going in with Dolly. So just the overall great great Thanksgiving day for me. And 
you know, now it's kind of that stretch where Dallas enters their gauntlet. They got five games against, uh, I guess it's winning record teams starting this Thursday against Seattle. So we're really going to see what this team is capable of. And it's really good that we're kind of hitting our stride right when we get into that thick of the schedule. Because if we can come out of this four and one, maybe a little unreasonable there, but four and one, honestly, even three and two would probably get us into the playoffs at this point. But I want to see them come out, compete, and really kind of dominate a couple games just to put the naysayers to bed and get us in that stride, you know, going into the postseason. But a turkey day is always based on the Cowboys winning or losing, and my food tasted great that day. So I'm happy, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about this day because this is one of the best Thanksgivings I can remember and I'm a Cowboys fan for a long time. So, great win for the boys. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had a good Thanksgiving. I was just, you know, um, I was, like, taking it easy, pretty much. I was, like, checking in on the games, um, you know, here and there. But I'm just, like, looking at the box scores, uh, watching the highlights on Twitter and stuff. Um, kind of ca- caught the end of the, or some of the Niners one, but my focus obviously was on the next day right and so we'll get into the first black friday game on amazon prime now that's going to be the new tradition and yeah i mean give an overall take of that game my dolphins i was pleased obviously anytime you know you play any divisional opponent um you know in their stadium it's going to be tough but it was a pretty eventful uh game, you know. You know, it was 34 13, but I felt like a lot kind of happened, good and bad, for the Dolphins. So I'll start with the good, actually. I'll start with the good first. Um, obviously, we get the win, but uh, defense as usual looked good as they have the past several weeks, the stronger side of the ball. Right. Um, Granted, we're playing the Jets, who have not looked good. Tim Boyle gets the start. He couldn't do really anything all game um, other than one drive at the end of the game. So, but, you know, defense did their job, took care of business there. Um, And offensively, I thought for the most part, um, you know, execution was pretty good. Um but was still not a clean game that I would have liked to see. So it's weird because, you know, it's eight and three, but was it, it was an ugly win. I thought, even though it was 34, 13, but I still think ugly win for these reasons. So a couple things I want to get to first, what I feel is the biggest blow for our team. We lose Jalen Phillips. I mean, he was coming on in his third year as across Bradley Chubb, like that one-two punch that they provide, um, all seems like he makes a timely play, whether it's a sack, a big tackle for loss, fumble. Uh, He had a pick, right? And so it's just like we're going to miss him um, out with an Achilles. You could see it on the video. I just like when they showed the replay, I I was so sick to my stomach Um, because it's literally the Aaron Rodgers uh achilles 
tear all over again. But it was like so much more violent. Like you could see his snap so much uh clearer than Rogers' one. So I knew instantly what it was. For it to happen like more than midway through the season, you know it's gonna you know it's gonna take a while. But hopefully he gets the same surgery that Rogers gets. Um and he's ready to go for next year because I don't think he's coming back this year, even for you know playoffs or anything. Yeah, it's he he's gonna be out for a while. So hopefully we can get him uh, healthy for next year. But yeah, prayers to to Jalen. Hopefully, hoping for a speedy recovery there. Going off of that, can we change MetLife Stadium because this is getting ridiculous at this point? I mean. You know, it's one thing if it happens to, you know, uh, you know, just guys in general, but it's happening to superstars, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, your own quarterback, tears his Achilles on your field. Is that not prompt, like, uh, prompt enough to go get grass? I don't understand why we can't get grass for NFL players when oh, it seems like a majority of them complain about it, right? Um, let's get rid of the turf. Let's keep, you know, your most, let's think of it as, as a business thing, right? The NFL, what is your most valuable asset? Your superstars, your quarterbacks. Hey, let's keep them on the field. And if we can do that by maybe just putting in grass, wow. Like, is I, um, may, maybe I don't understand something, but to me, that seems like a worthwhile inv- investment. And so that's something I would like to see moving forward. Um, but you know, going off the Jalen Phillips injury, football wise, gonna need to see Andrew Van Ginkle step up, who has you know been pretty good for us this year when he's been in that address role. But Emmanuel Ogba, who we're paying, I think like thirteen to fourteen million this year alone, um, he hasn't seen a lot of the snaps because of Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb. But looking to see him step up for us uh, down the stretch run that we have. Hopefully, he can be that same productive pass for sure that he was uh, last year and a couple years ago. So looking for him to step up big there. Um, And I'll get to the offensive side of the ball now. So offensively, got to talk about Tua, right? Crazy because you see the two picks and they were bad. Like the first one, the pick six, he was late on his check down, tries to hit, you know, his guy in the flat defender is all over it because he's late, takes it, to the house second one trying to force it again uh just trying to get something going points before the half he tries to force it into Tyreek the ball is behind that one I mean I get kind of like it's towards the end of the half you're not trying to you're just trying to force something uh to your guy to make a play still to me like a bad pick I thought the first one was way worse though because that's like a mental one um you know, the physical ones, the overthrows, the underthrows, uh, trying to force something in, going into the half, like you you can live with those, but you cannot have the mental lapses ones, right? Especially in big games against an opponent who had nothing going offensively. That was like kind of the big thing for me. So that's addressing the picks. Um, although, you know, the second one obviously sets up uh, Javon Holland. To go 99 yards, uh, that is will forever be mentioned in Black Friday games moving forward, I think. Um, but typical Jets, right, Matt? I mean, to go on 
you know, you get the pick six and you maybe can have some momentum going in, uh, you know, to halftime. Just chuck a Hail Mary. Ah, who you know, who knows what could happen. You're thinking worst case, it's an incomplete pass, right? Or it's picked, he's tackled, right? Lo and behold, leave it to the Jets. Add another one to their repertoire of infamous blunders in the NFL. They're calling it the Hail Mary now. I think, I mean, I can't wait for the hard off. The butt fumble, Thanksgiving anniversary. The butt fumble, uh, now you have the Hail Mary. I mean, I can't wait for hard knocks to come out this week and see, like, everything that was going on on the Javon Holland pick six. I mean, he took in 99 yards, no skill players. It's kind of like the Alabama against Auburn one, right? And we will get to Alabama and Auburn later, too. Another memorable one. moment for them but anyway um yeah just a great play by javon really like stole all any momentum the jets had right because you get the pick six oh man it's 10-6 right should have been 10-7 they missed extra point of course but it's 10-6 um and it's like oh man maybe they have a chance to like even kick a field goal or something i don't know uh, you get a pass interference maybe, right, in the end zone. Maybe that gives you a chance. You never know what could happen, right, um, on one of those Hail Marys. And so I'm thinking, man, if it's 10-9 or even they take the lead, you know, one lucky bounce and Garrett Wilson's down there, you never know what he can do. Uh, but Javon really just made me feel a lot better going into the half. I, I'm, like, watching it unfold. I'm like, wait, there's only linemen back there. Uh, of course, he jukes out Tim Boyle takes it to the house. I'm like, oh my goodness, that like took, I feel like that took all the pressure off the Dolphins and they went to go play free uh, in the second half. Tula still had another fumble, but that was like kind of an exchange thing um, with a new running back in there. Of course, that's, you know, another turnover that's going to happen. But to me, um, the they had a nine minute drive, Matt, in the second half. I think that one really put the game away to put it, you know, they went up 20, 27 to six. Um, and that was uh, what I like to see offensively that, that long drive grinded out grind clock. Um, one of their more impressive drives on the year, I thought, and, you know, overall feeling pretty good sitting at eight and three, obviously we still have some games we need to take care of before we get to our gauntlet run. But I must say, um, the situational third and fourth down and one or two um, play calling and execution, I think, needs to be improved. As good as Mike has been this year, he just does not like to run on third and one, on fourth and one. I don't know if it's because he wants to, he believes in Tua to make the right read, but, you know, our running game has been good. Our offensive line has been good in short yardage, I feel like, when we need it. Uh, Mostert, Jeff Wilson, you have, you know, he's more of that physical one to two yard dive kind of backs. And that's just something that I would like to see him trust a little bit more. You know, because off of that, when that starts to get successful, right, you can run the play action off of that, run the bootleg off of that. But I want to see them establish that that physicality of being a, you know, I'm going to run it down your throat on third and one, on fourth and one, and show um, that we can get the yards this way. 
right? Um, that that's just another uh caveat, but I'll take the win. Happy about it. Two obviously some things to clean up. Um, but not gonna overreact just yet. They were pretty bad. He I felt like the rest of the game he played pretty clean, other than really those two mental mistakes. So um I mean the Jets defense is good too. We're, you know, you can't take that away from them as well. They have given a bunch of people problems this year. And I mean, even beat the Eagles. They're the one team that beat the Eagles this year somehow, right? So um you take the win, but yeah, looking forward, want to see see some stuff get cleaned up there. Um but we'll look on to next week. I think we play the commanders next week. So hopefully, yeah, play the commanders. Hopefully we take care of business there for my sake and for your sake to just bury them, right? So I think they're uh, kind of yeah, pretty know. much. Buried. I'm kind of writing them off already. <laughs> yeah. But they yeah. are sneaky because they can move the ball. And they move the ball against Dallas. So I don't know. You guys are gonna have to deal with Sam Hell throwing it like 50 times a game. Yeah, that's true. But I will say I think our um pass defense with Jalen Ramsey now back. Um yeah, it it'll be it'll be a good it'll still be a good test. You know, we can't take them lightly, obviously, but expecting them to uh take care of business and uh move forward. But since I brought up the Eagles really quick, we need to get into pretty much the game of the week, right? Bills at the Eagles. Um I got the better outcome from this game than you. Uh you needed the the Eagles to lose. I needed the Bills to lose. Luckily Jalen Hurts was able to pull it out because now the Bills are six and six. But let's get into the game itself, Matt. So I had baseball during the game. So following the score. I know it was going back and forth, but I'm assuming you watched the game. Um so most of it. Most of, most it. of it. So why don't you just give me your kind of takeaway from from this game? Because this was really the game of the week. I mean, this game statistically was dominated by the Bills. The Bills were doing everything. They could move up and down the field. They were stopping the Eagles really for the majority of the game until there was like a late stretch where it's like, you know, classic Josh Allen, right? Big numbers, you know, makes incredible plays. But, you know, he has that one turnover, like that one moment where it's like, no, Josh, don't do that. And then, you know, sure enough, that one pick just switched. That's when I turned the game off because I was like, oh, wow, the Bills, they're up 10. You know, they're, they're controlling the game. They look pretty good. And then, you know, I come back 20 minutes later. I'm like, what the heck just happened? They're they're down four now? <laughs> I just turned off the TV and the Eagles are winning now. But, you know, the Eagles scored and then Josh Allen turnover. Like, that that was the one. And then they had the quick strike touchdown given the lead. Like, that's the thing I think that really frustrates people with Josh Allen because he's so talented. But can he play a complete game and just take you home because that's where we kind of see him as an elite quarterback and you know that's kind of like his his thing now it's like he he misses one throw or he makes a terrible turnover in a critical moment and then you know it just kind of snowballs from there but yeah that was kind of the story of the game at least for the eagles offensively 
because in the first half, they weren't doing anything. And when they did something, uh, they get bailed out. And then vice versa on the defensive end. You know, the, they, they just get bailed out. Every time the Bills go down the field, oh, seems like some kind of penalty is being called on the Bills or no penalty is being called on the Eagles. They said in the first half, there was 10 penalties on the Bills. 10 penalties. Like, that's absurd. And the Eagles had one. One penalty for five yards. But I think the most egregious one, and this was, like, I'm not even a Bills fan, but I would be so upset. And I was very upset when I saw this because I was cheering against the Eagles. It was the Josh Allen, quote-unquote, horse collar. So the Bills, they have a chance. They're, like, on the six-yard line. You know, golden chance to score a touchdown. I think that that would have put them up, I believe, 10 at the time. 10? Or 17. I'm not too sure. But basically, you score a touchdown, you can really, like, not really knock them out, but it's like you put a lot of pressure on the Eagles in the second half to kind of play out of their game now. They got to play from behind. And Hassan Reddick just horse collars, drags down Josh Allen, rips the jersey, pulls him down on the neck and by the throat. And Josh Allen kind of just flings the ball to the ground, but Gabe Davis was in the vicinity. And, you know, it's kind of, it looked like a fumble, fumble toss. But at the time, they just called it incomplete. But everybody is like, where's where's the horse collar? Tony Romo was saying, that's that's a horse collar. Jim Nance said, that's a horse collar. And even uh, the CBS ref guy, I forget what Gene Steratore. Yeah, him. He's like, yep, that's a horse collar. Yeah, when he says it, because a lot of players respect him. I know Rogers, yeah. like said before, yeah. that Gene was really good. So, and he he's really, I think he's a really good job in the booth with with Tony and Jim Nance. I think they have good chemistry. And the fact that he said it was like, okay, where's the flag? And then the refs come in to discuss, and then it's like, okay, yeah, there's a flag. And then you look up, it's like, oh, intentional grounding offense, like. So what should have been a horse collar turns into an intentional grounding. So then now you lose a loss of, you lose a down, you end up having to kick. And then, you know, sure enough, right. They missed the kick. Jalen Carter gets a hand on the ball. You get no points versus seven points. I, I think that huge. Really, swing. That was huge because I think they score and the Eagles ended up turning the ball over on their next drive. So you fumbled that they fumbled it. Josh Allen ends up scoring on that drive. That's a 14 point swing right into the half. That's like knockout blow, honestly. And the fact that, you know, it, it comes down to calls like that where it's it's really obvious. Like all these Eagle fans saying, Oh yeah, you know, whatever. Oh, yada, they're yada, yada, mad. Yada. Yeah, they're so mad. mad. Yeah. Keep coming at us because you know. We're not going to back down. We're not scared of you guys, especially me. I ain't scared of you clowns. Yeah, I, they took what I said completely out of context, by the way. Like, I was just, it honestly cracked me up. It makes me laugh so hard anytime. Like, and I don't hate the Eagles. Honestly, I don't. All I said was it just seemed like they were getting lucky in some of these games. I literally said, I don't have any logic or reasoning behind it. That's just my view of the situation. Here come all these Eagle fans coming after me. <laughs> oh, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. Like, they still have one of the best defenses. They have to hold up. I was like, oh, my God, did you listen to what I said? 
So, yeah, I think it's just funny. I guess Eagles just, they get, like, their fans love to react to stuff, I guess. Maybe that's why Skip, you know, he, like, he really goes at them. Um, when he calls them lucky and stuff because he knows it'll, like, rile them up. So, uh, I think I I finally get it now. (laughs) Yeah, but in Skip's defense, he's not wrong. Like, any other, like, are you, like, how can you not, Say that's a horse collar. Josh Allen's jersey bad. is ripped. It like it's ripped off his his shoulder pads, and the fact that okay, one you don't call the horse collar, but you somehow turn that into an intentional grounding when Gabe Davis is literally two feet in front of the ball. Yeah, the ball didn't go to the line of scrimmage, but there's a receiver in the vicinity that's clearly there. That is, he's there. Like there's no debate. It's shown on television, on film. So I just think you can't, like, for the, it's more for the NFL's sake, you cannot have calls like that to me. And and this is a big game, right? The Bills are fighting for their lives, right? The Eagles, you know, they got the 49ers next week, then they got Dallas the following. So they're trying to, you know, keep pace ahead of Dallas, ahead of the 49ers. Calls like that make or break games. And, Possibly make or break seasons in terms of the bills, honestly. That that just cannot happen. And there's so many times, you know, Slay, Darius Slay. This guy, yeah, he's overrated. You know, I don't want to hear he's the best corner in the league because a lot of times I'm watching him, he's holding, he's, you know, grabbing digs. He's the guy that got cooked on the last play, by the way, um, with Gabe Davis in overtime. It was just a miscommunication by Allen and and uh, Gabe Davis, which would have been a walk-off touchdown. But Slay just gets burnt, and you can see him. He knows he got burnt. He was trying to hold him. Granted, you know, you know you're getting burnt. You just take the flag. But I see a lot of that. So where's where's the discipline and coverage? And you call this guy one of the best corners in the league? Baloney. <laughs> Dallas has two corners better than him right now. Gilly. And Deron Bland, and they would have had three if it was Trayvon Diggs healthy. But you know, I just think the referees—it's getting way out of control at this point. It's—it looks suspicious because it's always the Eagles for some reason getting all these calls at home. And I know there's a stat like they're undefeated with Sean Hockley as the head ref, <laughs> like because I think he's one of the crews that has the most penalty he throws the most penalty flags for an officiating crew. So, you know, I just think it needs to be consistent. We say this all all the time. That's all we want as fans. Nobody's going to be perfect, but it needs to be balanced. You can't have a 10 to 1 penalty differential in the first half. There is no way that is possible whatsoever. You cannot convince me like they had one penalty or the the Bills had 10. It should have been 10. Even 10 fives just sounds a little better, but... That that was my whole point of this game because the penalties killed them. And it's Josh Allen. He has that one turnover or that one throw that you just want to have back. Kind of seems to be the story of uh, his career at this point because I think I believe he's now 0-4. 6, I think. 0-6 in overtime games. So NFL changed the rules for him and he kind of hasn't capitalized on that uh, opportunity. So... I don't know. I mean, I know you must be happy that the Bills are kind of 
almost wow. dead in the water at this point. Well, yeah, obviously happy. You know, the AFC is going to be tight. Seating is important. But we are going for the division. And now, what, 8-3 and three versus 6-6. Six and six, That's a big difference, right? Um, I mean, they're still not dead, dead. So I'm not going to make any assumptions. I still think a good football team, they can get hot at any time. I could see them easily rallying off four wins in a row. Uh, so I'm not going to you know, make any statements that they're absolutely done. But to me, this game, uh, like you said, when there's two really good teams, sometimes it comes down to one play, one call. Um, but I must say, Matt, that this game gave me the feeling a little bit more of that Eagles team we saw last year. And I'm just concerned maybe that everyone missed their chance to beat the Eagles like when they weren't looking as good, you know, um, offensively, like I said, they didn't seem like that juggernaut, but Hey, they put up 37 points this game. Um, and they got the touchdown at the end when it mattered, right? The Buffalo defense was really good, held them off early, but they figured it out in that second half. And if we get this second half Eagles offense, I think that is going to be a scary sight for the NFC moving forward. We'll still have to see, but I just thought that second half was their best, you know, football they played offensively um, this season. And so, you know, the Bills, I mean, they got the field goal in overtime, but all, you know, you just hold them to a field goal and you still give Josh Allen a chance, right? But give credit to the Eagles. They went, you know, 75 yards, um, got the job done with Jalen Hurts. So, I was just, I'm just thinking like, oh man, did everyone miss their window to beat the Eagles when they didn't look as good, you know, here and there, but it's, they're still like kind of beating themselves up at, to a certain extent. I mean, Jason Kelsey, when do you ever see him make mistakes, right? He has two false start penalties on the last drive that nearly pushed. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. In regulation, um, that game time drive that nearly puts them on a field goal range. Luckily, Jake Elliott. Arguably, I think now that was might one of be, the clutchest kicks I've ever might seen. Might be, yeah. Not only was that one of the clutchest kicks, but I mean, I think he might be taking over Justin Tucker as the best kicker in the league. Uh, him and Young Way Koo, I think, are the two guys you could argue probably the best kickers in the league right now. But how money was that kick, right, from Jake Elliott? And so, yeah, I just thought, wow, to do that in the rain in that circumstance. Because game tying versus like, you know, when it's a tied game and you can miss and oh, well, you still have a shot at overtime. But to hit that, I mean, even Jalen Hurts and Jason Kelsey were shaking their heads because they know like here's Jake Elliott bailing them out again for not executing on offense. So I don't know. This team just they find a way to win. Got to give them credit. They are 10 and one. It's hard to win 10 games uh, out of your first 11 in the NFL. So. Um, hey, I, I do tip my cap to the Eagles. I don't think they're a bad team, right? I think they're a good team. And I think if they get hot, start to get hot moving forward down the stretch, like that's that's going to be scary for other teams. So I don't think the Eagles, I would even argue your point. Like, I don't think that was their best offensive showing of the game because I would make the argument saying the Bills defense 
in that fourth quarter and mm. when you know that late those last drives was terrible <laughs> terrible defense maybe just gassed i don't know well i just think especially in the last two drives like that last drive going into overtime and then you know obviously the last drive in overtime the eagles or the the bills were up three actually they're up three in both of those drives so you know the eagles right they're playing for the field goal just trying to get into scoring position especially at regulation but i just thought that the bills were just giving them pitch and catch all the way down until jason kelsey kind of put them back a little bit with the false starts but prior to that they were just getting seven eight yards seven again out of bounds right and then on third down third and short you got your corners playing like seven yards back it's like what are you doing like you know Devontae just runs a simple four yard hitch route <laughs> pitch pitch and catch first down like i just think the scheme for the bills was pretty bad because i know they were trying to defend against the touchdown but the one thing the bills have is they have you could make the case the best safety tandem in the league Joy Poyer, Micah Hyde, keep those two guys back, right? They're going to play center field, right? Control the air in a deep ball. But you got to bring your corners up to take away the short seven, eight yard routes. Because if you get beat, well, that's okay. Because I got safety help over the top and I got two guys, veteran guys that I trust. But the e- to the Eagles credit, right? They took what the defense gave them, moved down the field and got into you know, scoring position, you know, at the late game of regulation and then also to win it in overtime. So I think it's a little bit of both, but yeah, I was more disturbed by the way the the Bills were playing defense. But I don't know, Sean McDermott, all right, you better watch out, man. Yeah, he's on the hot seat. <laughs> you I think. better watch out. I mean, I even his his comments at the end, like, you know, you, you call a timeout to try ice Jake Elliott, but it's like why don't you save that timeout to give Josh Allen a chance? You know, two timeouts, 20 seconds. We've seen Patrick Mahomes do crazy. Like Josh Allen is more than talented enough to do that. So to not give him a shot, I don't know. That sends a bad message to me, to to the players in the locker room. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, I missed that one. But yeah, I think McDermott definitely on the hot seat. And uh, just to wrap up NFL talk, Matt, uh, speaking of hot seats, we have our first official firing okay. of the year. Forgot to bring this one up, but Frank Reich done in Carolina. And oh my goodness, to me, this is like complete disaster from the Carolina Panthers for the past year. I mean, you know, you could argue going into the offseason season. Probably the worst case scenario for them, I think, right? Look at it. Let's go back from the start, right? They hire Frank Wright. Okay. Rumors are he wanted CJ Shroud. A lot of the staff wanted CJ Shroud. But David Tepper, the owner, was high on Bryce Young, right? And to be honest, so are we. We were higher on Bryce Young than CJ Shroud just from college tape and all that stuff. Looking back, obviously... C.J. Shroud, the better physical NFL prospect, right? I don't think anyone could argue that there. But from what we saw, you know, Bryce Young, that willing or sorry, winning gene, uh, clutch gene, whatever you want to say, 
that's what we saw at Alabama. And that's what we have not seen so far this year. And so I don't know exactly what's going on in Carolina. It's hard to say, right? His rookie year, you know he's going to struggle, right? But it's just so puzzling to me that they fire Frank Wright, like, now? I mean, I don't, I, I don't understand what, you know, is going on because you hire him to kind of coach up Bryce Young. You know, same with Josh McCown, longtime NFL vet. You bring him in, and yeah, we knew this year was going to be bad. We knew that. We're not surprised by the record at all. But I don't understand. I don't know if it's the GM. I don't know if it's the owner. Like, whose decision it was to fire Frank Reich because they don't have a good offensive line. I think one of the worst in the league. Uh, can't run the ball. Your number one weapon is Adam Thielen. And you have a rookie quarterback. Like, what do you expect from this offense, right? Uh, Like, even to give Bryce Young a little bit of slack, like, what do you expect him to do? Let alone, you know, you put almost any other quarterback in that position, right? What do you expect from that quarterback, let alone a rookie in that situation with, you know, their defense is, I think, a little bit better than people think, but not a, you know, top-tier defense, I would say. So, like, just I'm confused, Matt, because you gave everything up, right? You have no picks. You gave up all your capital. And now you can't build off of it. And now the guy who was supposed to right the ship or kind of at least steer the ship in the right direction is gone. And I don't – it's just puzzling to me. I I hope we hear more about this maybe in the offseason or something that went on because I don't get it. Um. And I just wanted to. What is your reaction to this news? Because I'm, I don't even know what's going on. I mean, I'm sh- I'm shocked that it happened. Like you said, at this point, maybe you make a change after the season. You know, there's things behind the scenes that we don't know about. But to to do it this abruptly, it seems like he was. What is the owner's name? Tepper, David Tepper. Yeah. It's like they said. You know, it was reported. You know, he dropped an f bomb, like walking out of the you know the game, right? kind of upset but kind of seems like a emotional decision i feel like just because you're angry okay i'm gonna make a change now but what what did you expect you have the first pick in the draft for a reason you're not gonna win the you're not gonna win the super bowl this year realistically so you gotta go through a little bit of growing pain i would think but i just think this sends a bad message now for whoever the next coach is gonna be because who's going to want to come coach the Panthers now when your owner just says, ah, forget it. 11 games in, you didn't do what I expected to. Like, there's no leeway. There's no accountability, no trust factor. So for Bryce Young's sake, like, how is he going to get a good coach that wants to go in that situation? Like, for example, Dan Quinn, probably going to be, you know, a head coach candidate again in the offseason. You don't think if Dan Quinn had to choose between being the head coach at Carolina or coming back to Dallas to be the DC, might not get paid as much, which one would he pick? I think he would pick, or most people would pick, staying in Dallas in this case, in a comfortable situation where you know you're thriving, the coaches trust you, they believe in you, the owner believes in you, versus a chaotic situation. So I'm just saying for a good quality coach for Bryce Young, 
how are they going to get that now? Because it feels like Frank White, kind of a, res- a respected guy in the league and has had a track record of, you know, working with capable quarterbacks in the NFL. So to, to give up on him that fast, that's a that's a sour note for for the Panthers organization. That, that was just my initial reaction. Yeah, I don't really I, care about the Panthers. I'm not a Panthers fan at all. But for the sake of Bryce Young, I don't know. He might be a bust just because now he might have the worst ownership slash coaching situation <laughs> out of all the rookies at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to do a you know rookie rundown thing at the end of the year um, when we're going through all of our NFL talks and stuff. But really quick on Bryce Young. The thing, the vibe I'm going to get right now is so much gets put on the quarterback uh, for how their career turns out. But it, if we're being honest, if you follow football and you kind of understand a little bit more than, than just what you see on TV, it really is the situation you go to. I mean, I hate to you know say it, but a player can only play as good as their players around them and you know kind of the leadership and how the organization runs and i'll just say because i followed the two hawaii guys and i think at critical points in their career uh went the opposite ways right and so similar thing uh you know kind of questions around marcus and tua early in their careers are they the guy? Can they be the guy? Both high draft picks, right? Can they be the guy? I don't know. Like Marcus's way, uh, people don't talk about this, but you know his first four seasons, four offensive coordinators, right? Three different head coaches. People don't talk about that, but you know they bring in a defensive-minded head coach, Mike Vrabel. That's not Marcus. Isn't his guy, right? He starts to not do good. They pull him. Brian Tannehill goes in. We know the rest of that story, right? Tua, kind of the flip side, right? He has Brian Flores there. We now know Brian Flores was, you know, pretty harsh on Tua with all the things we, we've gotten to hear um, since he's been let go. But harsh on Tua, right? They start as Tua the guy. We don't know. Flores is gone. Now Mike McDaniel comes in. And what does he do? completely turns the system around, the culture around, and tool around, right? Puts a scheme around his players. Not a, this is my scheme. You're going to fit this. He he takes a look at their offense. Okay, we got speed. We got a guy got, that can throw with accuracy, anticipation. Let's put this system in place because that's what they do well. You know, Marcus, he was an RPO guy in college. He's athletic. Right. Tennessee tried to turn him into a pocket passer. And we see how that turned out. The one year, good year he had, he was getting outside the pocket. He was throwing the ball like on the run. He was using his legs. And I think that's what is going to come down to Bryce Young, whether the ownership does something similar like that. Are you going to put a coach at, like you said, is it going to be a respected guy, a guy that has a lot of options? Probably not. It's probably going to have to be a, some something like Mike McDaniel was to the Dolphins, right? Like a up and comer, uh, you know, one of these like not brainiacs, but dare I say a Kellen Moore, 
you know, some like someone that is going to have to like, I'm just saying, right. Like someone that it's a little bit riskier, but that's probably the guys you're going to look at to completely turn the whole situation around. Right. Cause to me, like you said, Bryce young is your most valuable asset, no matter how you spin it, what you gave up to get him and what you've invested just to, you know, into him in his development is the most critical thing for your team moving forward. If you didn't feel like Frank Reich or Josh McCown or that staff was doing a good job of, you know, molding Bryce Young into an NFL quarterback or an elite talent, so be it. But the next guy you get has to be all about Bryce Young, just like Mike McDaniel was all about Tua. Because it's possible. We saw that the turnaround is possible. Bryce Young was the number one pick for a reason, right? Even if he wasn't number one, he was going to go, you know, in that first round. He was a first round talent. And so I think the talent is still there. But, you know, unfortunately for Bryce, I think it's kind of out of his hands of how the his career in Carolina is going to go. If they get the right guy, you know, that'll be good for him. If they don't, that that just might be it. Uh, like, honestly, we've seen it with Marcus. I mean, dare I even say Baker, right? He wasn't didn't always have, like, guys in his position, but... Yeah, so that that was that was my kind of like takeaway from the the Frank Reich thing. Um, it'll be interesting to see who who they hire next year because I think Bryce Young's career is uh gonna be in the hands of that man. So I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry that football NFL talk went kind of long. Uh, why don't we get to a quick break here and then we'll continue with uh college football. Okay, so. Enough NFL talk. Let's get to some college football. And UH's season officially concluded. One of the most UH games ever. Of course, I wasn't watching. I was keeping up, though. You were watching. Uh, obviously, you got to talk about the ending. I mean, what a Hawaii football way to end not only the game, but really end their season under this you know, the second season of the Timmy Chang era. I don't think anything could be summed up better in a series of events than that last drive, Matt. So you were there, you were watching, you oh felt God. all the emotion live. Uh, well, I mean, not in person, but, you know, you were watching it on TV. Give me what was going through your mind on that final drive. I think everybody, well, you know, we were at Uncle Gerald's and everybody's going crazy. And I think I was the only one that was not cheering because I was laughing <laughs> of how ridiculous that last, you could say, 13 seconds was. But even I'll even go back a little bit to the drive before when Colorado State had the ball and they were down eight. And it was a fourth and I think it was like fourth and eight or something like that. Game is on the line, right? Defense, you get one stop. Ice is the game. <laughs> and then they give up. They give up a touchdown. Like, I don't even know. What was that? Like a 70-yard touchdown or something? Something ridiculous. <laughs> like, I just was... That was when I was in shock. I was like, what just happened? Yeah, 70-yard touchdown on 70-yard touchdown. On fourth and eight. Fourth and eight. And they bring a a cover zero blitz. <laughs> a cover zero. 
kind of like what the Eagles, uh, the Eagles did, except the you know the receiver and the quarterback were on the same page, you know. But I I just go back to that, and it's like you weren't watching you weren't watching the game, but the whole time throughout the game, UH they were rushing on third downs, right? It seemed like every third down they're rushing three guys, and I'm like. What are you guys doing? Like it's like third and three. They rush three guys. He has all day to throw, and then you know they end up getting the first down. But it's like you rush three guys on third and three. It's not third and fifteen now. It's third and three, third and medium, and you're rushing three guys. And the one time they actually bring pressure, <laughs> they, they bring seven. And then you got four guys in coverage. You leave somehow. Peter Monomo is on um, Tory Horton, who is their best receiver, one of the best receivers in the conference. You leave him one on one with Peter Monomo. Like what? What? <laughs> like first off, I mean, we can talk about this with Hunter. I'm not a huge fan of Peter Monomo already at safety. I think he's a valuable asset on the defense, just not in the proper position. But how do you allow a safety matched up on the guy's other team's wide receiver run and you decide to go on a cover zero blitz? Wouldn't that be the time to, yeah, you can bring pressure, but does it have to be seven guys rushing? Heck, five. I mean, five is good enough, I think. You can get home just to rush the pass a little bit, but to bring an all-out pressure where you allow guys one-on-one coverage that's putting them in a danger zone. So that's like classic ERH, right? The one time they're supposed to blitz or the times they're supposed to blitz, they don't. The one time they do, they get burned. And then, you know, that last drive, just, I don't even know. Like, I I don't even want to imagine what it would have been like if Shipley misses that kick. Because I just think all hell would have broken loose. And it just would have been a sorry way to lose, especially in the last game. Well, at least and it was tied. So it was tied. No, they were they were down. Oh no, yeah, you're right. You're right. It was tied. It was tied. But you don't think he misses the kick? Just the way that that whole operation was, I would have bet they lost in overtime if that same procedure happened and he misses the kick. I just think the momentum would have been all on Colorado State. They just came back. They were down 14 in the fourth quarter. They come all the way back. They get the two-point conversion. You botch the late-game execution, and they have all the momentum. So I, I'm going to pick the hot team. It's not like UH has a raucous home crowd, <laughs> you know, that's just going to turn the tide. But just that that last, I mean, you can give your take too, but I just think that is 100% coaching, 100% in that late-game execution. I mean, the... The thought is Chucky Hines catches the pass. You know, he goes out of bounds and, you know, the clock stops. But, I mean, as a receiver, shouldn't you kind of know, like, where you are on the field? Like, either way, it's a first down. So why are you trying to, like, kick a field goal with eight seconds left? I still think, say the clock stops, you can still run a play. Maybe, you know, if Shager, if there's no look, throw it away, right? If you're kind of in field goal range, just throw it away. But maybe you can try run a play to get five yards to get a little bit closer for Shipley, who was struggling that game. 
he shanked one at the end of the half and he got a kick blocked. So he wasn't having the best, you know, Matthew Shipley-esque game. So you try to get him an easier look. And this is kind of like that that uh, Monday night game. Remember the Bills and the Broncos? When the Broncos, they kind of like rushed everyone onto the field to try to get the operation down. They missed the kick. That's what it, it looked like. But it looked worse because at least the Broncos had about 20 seconds. <laughs> UH had eight. <laughs> and I just think that's 100% coaching. Because you should be telling your guys, hey, we get a first down. Like, we're not going to rush the field goal unit on in eight seconds. If the clock is running, that's okay. Don't panic, <laughs> right? Shager, call a play. You got eight seconds. Get set. Clock the ball. That's the worst case scenario that what should have happened. And Sh- uh, Shipley would have been able to kick the field goal with three seconds left for the win. And just line up, set up how he normally does, go through his routine, and drill it. But I just think that is 100% on Timmy Chang. You cannot allow that to happen. That just means your guys weren't prepared for that late game execution. But I don't know what you think, you know, kind of seeing everything. Okay, so I saw the play. I've seen it multiple times now, right? And I think, so I agree, like, yeah, okay, coaching, right? We'll, you know, we'll get to more of the defensive stuff, 70-yard touchdown. Uh, we can talk about all, all that next week with Hunter, right? But going into that, so that last possession, so you say, yeah, they should have kept the offense on the field, right? Uh, maybe run one more play, get a little bit closer. I agree with that. But to me, the whole thing was doomed. And I don't know whose fault this was. I don't know if it's the ref's fault for not communicating well with the coach, like Timmy Chang or Timmy assuming we got out of bounds and sending the field goal kicker out there. But actually, we got obviously extremely lucky. But if you think about it, the blunder that he had of sending the field goal team out there actually like ended up to be in our favor because, right, think about it. If he's, he thinks... um okay, let's run one more play to get a little bit closer. He thinks the clock had stopped, right? Because that's the only reason he runs a field goal team out there. He doesn't run it out there if he thinks it's a running clock with eight seconds left. Let's be honest, right? He's not going to do that. I don't even think he would do that, right? Um, But he runs... So if he kept the offense out there, let's say he's running a play. He's telling Shager, okay, get the play and get the play. We start to see the clock start to go down. Seven, six... I don't think Braden Shager, to be honest, would have the presence of mind to run up in eight seconds, get everyone set to clock the ball. Even with everyone screaming, the clock's running, the clock's running. I think he'd probably just have, like, I could see them, like, running their whatever four-yard out, and that's how we end the game to go into overtime. Honestly, right? Like, you got to think it's so fast in, in um, in that last play. And so we honestly got pretty lucky that Timmy thought that the clock had stopped and just sent the field goal team out there regardless. And just, I don't know how else to say it besides we got lucky. Like we got lucky that he happened to send the team out. Maybe even the wrong decision ended up being the right decision. (laughs) So in, in that scenario, but 
to me, it's pretty inexcusable. I don't know who's at fault, but how do we, we as in Hawaii, not understand that the clock was running there after the first down? Like, was there no signal that he got out of bounds, right? There was no, was that not communicated? Did we just assume? I don't know what, but that to me, that is the biggest blunder right there because that kind of dictated that whole sequence of events. Luckily, we get bailed out. It's probably better, honestly. Shipley didn't have time to think about it. He had to, just had to run up and kick the ball, That's true. right? Um, just a complete, like, Hawaii, Timmy Chang era way to end, our, like, the second season to me. Because, miss, like, we're up. It's caught, We're at home, right? Senior night. Oh, it's looking good. We're up big. Um all we have to do is not let up a touchdown and a two-point conversion and we win the game. Send a zero, huh? Safety on their best receiver? What? He hits him in stride to go to the house. Oh my. And they get the two-point conversion. Oh, here we go. Lo and behold, poor clock management or whatever miscommunication at the end of the game. Somehow get bailed out on a 51-yard field goal. Like, they didn't even have the right camera angle set on Spectrum to show, know, to show like what was going side, on. Because view. no one knew what was going on. They were still raising the net as the kick was on the way. I was just like... But hey, it worked out. And all that, you know, years from now, we'll look at Timmy Chang and his record and say, hey, they got... They were five and eight. They they were one game off of a bowl game in his second year, right? We saw the improvement, and we'll get to this next week when like we get to talk to Hunter. But I just think the five and eight record is so deceiving <laughs> of how this team has played all year. Because we're the worst five and eight team in the country. <laughs> we might we might be the worst five and eight team in the country, but we are. We somehow got to five wins, denied Colorado State a chance at their bowl game. And so I don't know, Matt. It's just comedy. Like it, you you literally couldn't write a funnier script of how to end like this year with how this year has. That's went. why I was cracking up when the kick happened. Everybody's cheering like, "Oh, gosh, we won!" I'm just saying they're cracking up. <laughs> like, what did I just watch? Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, we'll we'll see. Um, oh my goodness. You know, we'll talk about the offseason and all that stuff uh, next week with Hunter. But, yeah, what a hilarious way to end this second season of the Timmy Chang era. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just only UH, man. Only UH could do something like that. Only UH. Um, well, we got a lot of college football, Matt, so let's continue to press on here. Civil War. Oregon, Oregon State, this time in Eugene at Alton. Um, got a little bit of revenge from last year, right? Bo Nix, finally healthy, took care of business against Oregon State. Um, we were watching that game. Kind of got out of out of hand pretty quick, I would say. Um, but, yeah, how are you feeling going into the Pac-12 championship game against Washington? I mean, I, as an Oregon fan, I feel great because they're playing well at the right time. You know, they play Washington, the Pac-12 championship. They're kind of, you know, 
kind of skating by these last few games. So, you know, that's where you want them to be, right? Kind of unsure of themselves. They kind of lose their identity. Oregon, you know, they've hit their stride, honestly, ever since that Washington game. And, you know, to cap it off with a Civil War victory, quite maybe, who knows, might be the last one ever. I hope not. But, um, you know, I said this last week. So, Blaze, I gave you a warning. I said we're going to beat them down. And, uh, you know, what, I, what can I say? I, I pretty much called it. I've been calling it for a year. Bo Nix was not healthy last year. That changes the offense for Oregon. And we can clearly see he was healthy. And when he can move around and extend plays, this team is uh, hard to stop because they are that explosive on offense. I mean, he had that Heisman-esque moment. He kind of gets out of a sack, rolls out, throws across the field to Troy Flanken for a touchdown. Kind of a Heisman-esque kind of play right there. But, you know, to the Oregon's defense credit, they were the reason why we won this game. Last year, they got run on. Two plays. Inside zone, outside zone. (laughs) What a stretch. They got gashed. This year, that was not the case. You hold Oregon State to, what, 53 yards rushing? You hold Damian Martinez to 38 yards rushing? Yeah, that. that I mean, you're going to win a lot of games, especially against Oregon State, because they're not built to play from behind. DJ, you know, he has the hype, the name, but he's not Bo Nix right now. He's not a quarterback that's going to, you know, drop back. 30, 40 times a game and lead a, a comeback. That's just not how they're built. They're built to play with the lead, built to control the clock, play in one possession games, and just kind of dominate you physically. But you take that run game away and you make DJ throw it. Yeah, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna move the ball. They're not gonna move the ball. And that's kind of what happened. DJ was not effective. The pass rush was getting home. The run defense was there. And then offensively, right, Bo Nix was bodacious. He was spectacular. So kind of what I expected. I didn't think it was going to be a 24-point win, honestly. But I expected Oregon to dominate offensively and control the game defensively. But they flat out dominate. (laughs) So going into the Pac-12 championship, we can talk about this, you know, with this whole playoff situation. They're exactly where you want to be. It's a win or go home situation. What more could you ask for? Honestly, that that's exactly where you want to be in this time of year if you're a national championship contending team. And for both Washington and Oregon, it's kind of like, yeah, they needed this matchup because that first game, Washington kind of got let off the hook a little bit to some degree, you can say. And Oregon, you know, they were at Washington, but who knows? On a neutral site, you got arguably the two guys in the Heisman Trophy race right now at quarterback dueling it out. This could be obviously for the Pac-12 championship, the birth to the playoff, and for the Heisman. I mean, this is just college football at its best. So for Oregon, it's simple. You win and you're in. Win and you're in. You accomplished what you had to do. Everything else after that would be gravy. But you got to take care of business on Friday because you worked so hard to get there. 
and you got a loss in there. So it, it's it's all on the line at this point, and you got to feel good, I think, as a Ducks fan with the way that they're playing right now. They're hitting their stride, and, you know, let's let's bring it on. Let's bring on those uh, those Huskies and send them home. They're talking a lot of trash up in Seattle right now, so I'm excited to to put that to bed on Friday. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it then. You already brought it up. Uh, CFP coming down to the home stretch here. Got all the championship games coming up this weekend. Let's start it simple, Matt. Uh, only four teams are getting in. After this weekend, who do you like? Who are your four teams that you see moving on uh, to play for the championship? Are you saying after the championships are played? Yeah, after after okay. the championship weekend. What is your prediction? All right. I'm going to go... Well, obviously, I'm going to pick Oregon. So they're one. That's a Pac-12 championship winning in for both teams. The other teams, I'm going to go at Georgia. I think Georgia beats Alabama. So they'll they'll get in. I think Michigan wins against Iowa. I think they're just they're the better team. <laughs> better quarterback too. McNamara versus McCarthy, you know, the ex-Michigan guy who lost his job to McCarthy. So kind of a ironic story there, but I think Michigan handles the business with Harbaugh coming back on the sidelines. But that last team, you know, I was debating about it, but I'm going to pick Texas. <laughs> I'm going to pick Texas because I see Alabama losing, so that knocks them out. Ohio State, right? They lose to Michigan, one of the best games of the year, in a non-championship game. So they're kind of knocked out unless absolute chaos happens. But... I think Florida State gets upset. I think they get upset against Louisville. That's going to knock them out. They're playing with a backup quarterback. And I think Texas beats Oklahoma State. So they have that trump card over Alabama. You know, they beat them in Tuscaloosa. I think they sneak in as the number four team. So it would be Georgia versus Texas and then Michigan versus Oregon. That's my That's my playoff prediction. Georgia versus Texas and Michigan versus Oregon. Okay, so I'm with you on Georgia, Michigan, and honestly, Oregon, because I think, like you said, neutral site. We'll see how neutral it is, but neutral site, I think Oregon is playing better football than Washington right now. I mean, Washington just barely squeaking by Washington State and Oregon State. Right. So I just I'm leaning a little bit more towards Oregon right now. So that's I'm I'm rolling with Oregon. My fourth team, this is tough. Um because honestly, I think I think that Florida State does not win, right? Without Jordan Travis. I mean, I just haven't seen enough. I haven't, I mean, been keeping up with them a ton, but Without Jordan Travis, I think that's a big loss for them. But I think, do you still give the nod to Ohio State though? You, like, you think Texas, edge like gets a little bit of the edge over Ohio State? That that's what you're dealing with right now. I would, in that situation, I would say yes because they're a conference champion. 
That's okay, kind of so, like their trump card, that, right? See, versus Ohio State. It's actually, I'm actually, but not even between Ohio State. Okay, so if Oregon barely beats Washington, Washington is only a one loss season. Honestly, I think. Ooh, I think spicy. it's tough. I, I think spicy. it's gonna be either Washington or Texas because I, I have Georgia winning over Alabama, right? Um, if Texas, I think it's gonna depend on performance between Texas and Washington. If Washington loses by two or more scores, I think they're out. But I think if it's another classic, just like that last game they played, and Texas Ooh, just barely squeaks by Oklahoma State. Right. Like, I don't know. Washington has been, you know, they've been there, done that all year. And if they just barely get beaten out in a close one, I think Washington stays in at four and maybe you bump okay. Oregon to three. Oh, but that's spicy. I, but, okay. See, that's, that's what I think should, I could see happening. Do I think that it'll happen? Probably not just because. I think Texas has honestly, we'll get into it, but more money, more fans. Uh, I think they're going to bring a little bit more um, and they want to see parity. So I could see it being Texas if they win and Washington loses, but I think it should be Washington, honestly. Um, if, if, If it's a close game, if it's a close game, a really good game between Oregon and Washington, I think the Pac-12 has been difficult all year. Washington has, you know, done their thing. Um, Not taking anything away from Texas, right? But, I mean, they have the big win over Alabama. That's kind of why it's so hard for me, that win over Alabama. Um, But, I mean, they, I don't know, like they barely beat TCU there. Um, It's so tough to me because you – if I'm looking at schedule, Washington, I think, has a little bit more of an impressive schedule, right? Oregon State, Utah, USC, the win over Oregon, all ranked teams versus the Texas strength of schedule. You got the Alabama one, but they lost to Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. And other than that, who have they really beaten? Uh, assuming they beat Oklahoma State, you know, uh, Kansas was ranked. They've kind of fallen off. Kansas State was ranked. They also kind of have fallen off, right? So it's so tough to me, man. I mean, um, so like if I was if I was just playing it out, like I had those four teams, I would say like the next, the first two out would be Ohio State, Washington. I feel like that would be like my first two guys out. Like Ohio State, they're. They're not dead, but they they See, need. I agree. I agree. They I need think, help, and I just I, think, I don't think they're gonna get enough because I think Texas is gonna win. Okay, I also think Ohio State and Texas would be the first ones out, right? Obviously, um, but let's okay. There's a ton of scenarios that can happen, right? So nothing is decided. Let's say it's the most chaotic thing that could happen, right? So we'll play worst case scenario. I'm worst case. Uh, this is worst case for the CFP uh, committee. <laughs> committee. Okay. So Georgia loses to Alabama. Right. Next one. Michigan somehow gets upset against Iowa. Pac-12 winner 
let's say Oregon wins because now Washington has the loss, right? Florida State loses and Texas wins and Alabama wins, right? By default. You so, say Florida State loses? I think if Florida, Florida State, State loses, they're out. Yeah, but if they're they win, out. then there's kind of like... Okay, yeah, that's probably better, do, actually. You're right. right. They win. They win. So then <laughs> you have a Georgia one-loss team, Michigan one-loss, Washington one-loss, Florida State undefeated, Oregon Pac-12 champs, you still got Ohio State sitting there, one loss. Texas at one loss, and Alabama at one loss. That's seven teams right there <laughs> that you could like contend. Uh, I mean, eight teams, honestly, that you could t- contend to be in there. If that that is like doomsday for the, the CFP people, <laughs> but we want to like let's just play devil's advocate. If something like that were to happen, what do you think? I think, Jeez, man. Like, I think Georgia is gonna stay. I think Georgia would have to stay, honestly. Um, even with the loss, I think they'd have to stay. But I do think that would mean Alabama sneaks in. Yeah. If Alabama wins, I think you have to give them the four, the four seed, and maybe drop Georgia the, to like the two, yeah. right? Um. If, See that's the, that's the game that everybody's gonna root against Alabama, right? Because if they win, it's it, it it's hard yeah, to not. That one is in. a big one. That's a big one for sure. That's the game that's gonna really mess things up, mm-hmm. I think. But I feel like I don't know, like Georgia. <laughs> I like Alabama. I gotta be Alabama. Theoretically, shouldn't they be ranked over Georgia if they beat them? Because they would both have the same record. One is the SEC champ. The other isn't. So I would think Alabama would have to be higher than Georgia. Maybe like the three versus the four. Three and four. Like You don't want to see them play again in the first round in the playoffs. Right, like right. For exactly. ratings. They'd have to either be, yeah. Like two, three, three, four. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So then I would have to pick the Pac-12 champ. Just I think the Pac-12 champ, no matter what, yeah. is getting in. It's a win. I think and that in. is solidified. So you got those two. <laughs> See, but the Florida State thing is so tricky. Okay, here, they, des- so, they deserve to be in because they're undefeated. But here, yeah, here's my no tr- here's here's my question then to you, Matt. If Florida State does go undefeated, right? But Texas wins, Alabama wins, and you still have the winner of the Pac-12 championship. That's too many. That's too many. Would you consider bumping Florida State out as an undefeated team for an Alabama? Right? If yeah. If I was the committee, I would. And it's unfortunate because it's just because of the injury. Because you have to take into account factors like that. Because you're trying to pick the quote unquote four best teams at the time to compete for the national championship. Can you really say Florida State is one of the four best teams in the country without the starting quarterback? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. They haven't their offense is not explosive. Right? They're kind of they got weapons, Keon Coleman, they got Wilson on the outside, decent run game, but you you need a quarterback. It's just like the NFL. To win in the playoffs, you need a quarterback. <laughs> and you're not going to win with a backup quarterback in the college football playoff. I agree. But I I think you you gotta knock them out. I, I just think 
it's unfortunate, but you got to knock them out. So okay. that leaves okay. That's Alabama. Okay, wait here. We'll we'll do this, Matt. Um, to make it simpler, so there's eight teams, right? We're we're really talking about here. Let's go one through eight. What does what needs to happen for each team to get in? Right. What do you okay. think needs to happen? I think that's the simplest way we can knock cover all the bases at one time. All right. So obviously Georgia, Michigan, easy. Right. They win, they're in. Right. Next one, Washington, same thing. They win, they're in. Florida State, I think they need status quo, right? So they need Georgia, Michigan, and Washington to win. Or actually, honestly, even Oregon. They need – that one doesn't matter. But they need Georgia and Michigan to win, right? Um, right. And if Oregon stomps Washington, you know, convincingly, I think if Florida State um, wins – convincingly i think the score is going to matter for that one too um they win convincingly i think you still got to give them the nod over a one loss texas team honestly like even if texas wins it's tough because i think it's like that alabama year with bryce young where texas probably is the better team but undefeated acc champ like you got you you can't not give them the nod i think unfortunately for Texas. So that's what I think has happened um, for Florida state. So basically they just, they just got to, you're saying the favorites just got to win. Yeah. They need the favorites to win. Okay. And if Texas loses that, then it completely clears them. Right. Um, Next one, Oregon. (laughs) There's yes. I think Oregon, Washington winning. Yeah. That's winning in either one. Yeah. Winning in. Um, Yeah. If Oregon loses, they don't have a chance. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. They're done. Ohio State. So they're they're the tough one. They need chaos. They they need a ton of chaos here. So, but to me, the biggest thing is I almost they need Michigan to win, actually. Because if Michigan is the one that loses, that makes Ohio State look worse, right? So they kind of yeah. need Michigan to put on a good show. Um and win. And then they're going to need Florida State to lose or Georgia to lose, I think. Like, badly. I think, I think you need Georgia to win, I would say, to beat Alabama. Oh, actually, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Because yeah, if need... Alabama sneaks in, you, they're going to leave out Georgia, two time defending champs. Yeah, no. I don't that's know. True. That's a tough one. So you probably so I think they they're need probably Georgia just banking on, on, they need Florida State to lose. You need Florida State and Texas to lose. And Texas to lose. I think that's what you need. So you think Texas gets the nod because if they win, they have the edge. So it sounds sounds like out of the one-loss teams, Texas wins. They have the most to gain, right? Yeah, I guess so because I don't think they they don't control their own destiny at this point. They need a loss. The only one-loss team that controls... I should say two, I should say. The two Oregon. one-loss teams, Oregon and Alabama. Alabama. Yep. They control their destiny. Win and you're in, I, I feel like. It, especially Alabama. I think it's so hard to to not put them in if they beat Georgia. Oh, this is madness. Yeah, this okay. So, yeah, so Texas is going to need help, but they need to win, obviously. Yeah. And then, yeah, we go to Alabama. Yeah, Texas. 
Alabama. Oh man, this is so hard. So Texas needs, right? They need Georgia to win. They need yeah, Michigan State Alabama. to win. Um, or sorry, Michigan to win. You need I mean, I think yeah, Pac-12 winner gets in no matter what. They need to put on a good showing and Florida State to lose. And then you give that nod to Texas as a four. I yeah. think, okay, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I think so. And then Alabama is a tricky one. You think it's just as easy as they win and they're in? Or do you think? I mean, I think so. Like, I don't know. Like, it's so hard because they're playing. It's because they're playing Georgia too. Like, right, right. And they would be this. They would have the same record. And one is the SEC champ. One isn't. But you're gonna knock Alabama out. But they just beat Georgia, and they have the same record. This is so tough. That I think that game, Georgia. That's the game that's just gonna cause chaos. If yeah. Alabama wins, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio State is definitely, I think they have the longest shot to get in. Oh, um, yeah. Most definitely. Just because they're not playing this weekend. Like all the other teams play this weekend to like solidify themselves. So mm-hmm. they're getting the most help. And then it sounds like Florida State needs to win, but they still need a lot of help. <laughs> I um, think so. Then it's Texas, then it's Alabama. Then it's you know Pac-12 guys take care of business. So, oh, it's gonna be yeah. Man. As an Oregon fan, that's why I'm I'm good because you control your own destiny. You just you beat Washington; they're ranked higher than you anyway. So, you beat them, you're in. There's no no debate about that. So, it's the teams like uh, not really lost Texas, Texas, Florida State. That's the kind of guys you you need help. But you got to put on a yeah. good show, too. Yeah, so. yeah. But, yeah, I think Ohio State has the hardest path. I agree with you. I think So, Ohio State, they definitely need Georgia to win. They actually need Michigan to win, I think. <laughs> they need so uh, the Pac-12 winner. I don't think is going to matter a ton unless it's a really close game. But let's just say they need one of the teams to blow out the other team, right? They need Florida State to lose. They need Texas to lose and yeah. Alabama to Alabama lose. Alabama would lose to Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's, that's a, a long that's shot. A lot. They got the yeah. longest shot. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Crazy. Well, this is crazy. It's going to be a fun weekend to see how it all unfolds. So, oh, yeah. I'm praying for chaos, though. That would be so, so hilarious. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that was a lot of college football talk. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh <laughs> This weekend. But let's move on from that and get to some UH basketball. So they had two games the past week. Uh won both of them and won what? Akrisher? Krisher Invitational. All right. Starting yep. the season off never, well. Never heard of that of that tournament before. But you know they're five and oh. I saw a post from uh Fox Sports. It was like retweet if your team is undefeated in college basketball in Hawaii. They're on there with all the, some of the blue bloods up there. So it's like, yeah, you know, we're starting pretty good. But, you know, I don't think we're playing anybody, you know, strength of schedule wise. That's just going to catch everyone's eye. Like, oh, UH is dangerous. But, you know, like I said, I just need to see some flashes here because 
you know, at the end of the day for UH, it's the Big West tournament. You got to play well when conference starts. But in this time now with the Diamond Head Classic coming up, who are the guys that are going to establish themselves as key pieces in the rotation? And right now, it, I mean, looks good. Noel Coleman is looking like what we think Noel Coleman can be, an efficient scorer. Uh, you know, he's averaging close to 20 points a game. Uh, I think the last game they played, he had a big one, 26 points. So it's good to see him going. Um, but, you know, the guy that I was kind of high on after that first game, maybe I was a little too excited because it was the first game, Tom Beatty off the bench. He's kind of been slowing down. Um, but I think that's going to be a key for UH. I think they need one to two guys a game to give you some kind of spark off the bench. I I still think he's got talent, but I think Juan Munoz is going to have to show more flashes, more consistency, I think, because um, it's a lot of a uh, starting five or bust, at least scoring-wise. Um, it's good to see Matthew Cotton finally have a good game. Um, you know, he's the Yale transfer. Hasn't really shown much, but... He had one game in the tournament. He kind of broke out. He had 23 points, five for seven from three. So that's going to be a huge sign. And then Justin McCoy, another transfer from North Carolina. Um, You know, I think he's been pretty good. He's been pretty good. And he's kind of like the X factor that I see for this team because I think talent-wise, he's probably the best player on the team, just in terms of talent. Um. You know, he's big. He can stretch the floor. You know, he's a stretch four in college basketball. Um, you know, he's a lot more physical than Kamaka Hepa, who he's kind of just taking his place at this point in the rotation. So I like what I'm seeing early. Um, again, it's more about consistency. Um, but I think his inside game is a lot better. And I think as a big man, you got to have an inside presence. I don't care if you're seven feet and you can't shoot, or seven feet, and you can't shoot the three. You still got to have some kind of inside game, especially in college basketball. Like, you got to be able to dominate inside with size. Um, But, you know, he's been okay so far. Javon, kind of a shaky start, but much better game in that championship game. I think he finished with 17 points, probably his most efficient game. I think he only had two turnovers as well. So I think Javon, you know, he'll be fine. Um maybe not going to expect the the big season with all the hype because right now I think it's Noel Coleman man I think this is the guy you you go through him you know he's playing hot ride the hot hand um but I still want to see a little more guys off the bench be aggressive um Harry really dev BD Munoz more sec that's kind of like the four guys off the bench kind of crack their way into the rotation a little bit more so Hopefully we see a little bit more. Uh, next week's going to be a tough one. They go on the road to Utah this week. So kind of their first true road game against a power five school. So I think it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, f- I'm not, can't really complain about five and oh, so good start for the bows. Yep, good start. And we'll definitely keep track as we get closer to that diamond head classic, but let's move on to some NBA talk. Uh, I know we always talk about the Lakers. They got absolutely destroyed tonight, but looking good so far in that in-season tournament kind of kind of thing. Um, I think it 
the games have been more competitive in the in-season tournament, so I think so far it's been a success. But I guess two surprises, Matt. Um, we can talk about the Thunder and the Magic. The Magic sitting at second place in the East. I don't know. We'll see if that's sustainable. We're still kind of early on, but man, Bancaro, he looks like he's a real deal. Um, and that young core in Oklahoma City, I mean, you got Chet and you got Shea. That's a dynamic one-two punch, I think. We're going to start to see uh, develop even more so as the season goes on. But uh, yeah, just a you know, don't want to touch on it too much, but I'm just I'm happy with how the Lakers have been playing. Um, it, they're still a little bit up and down to me, but they have a lot of guys banged up right now. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know what this team can do. Hopefully, we can tread water until we get all our guys back healthy again. So that's just my quick little NBA update there. Um, baseball talks a little bit heating up, so um. We have Imanaga that's now posted from Japan. A lot of teams will be going after him. Um, obviously, Yamamoto is available officially Officially now. He was spotted in LA, in LA, so maybe that's a good thing for me. Um, Yankees are out on Shohei. So I don't know how you feel about yeah. that. I don't think you're too surprised. No, I, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not hurt by that because I think they even said their target is Yamamoto, Soto, and Bellinger, those three. And for me, you got to get, well, obviously the pitcher. Get the pitcher. And you can get one of those outfielders. Not bad of an offseason, I think. But the thing with Otani, I've been saying it a lot, the, the pitching injury is scary to me. Second time, I think he's getting Tommy John. And if I'm going to pay big bucks for a guy to possibly be the highest played player in baseball, I don't want him to be a, a DH because <laughs> we already have a guy like that who's just clogging up the payroll, clogging up the spot in the lineup. And it just kind of ruins the ability to kind of get through the regular season. And the Yankees, they already burned themselves with that Stanton high, uh, signing. You can't do it again with Otani. I mean, there's just there's no place for both of them. So it is what it is, but they got to get Yamamoto. That's that's their target. So yeah, I, I've kind of accepted the fact that Shohei is probably going to be in the Dodgers. I will be shocked if he's not on the Dodgers, put it this way. Yeah, I hope he is because all the hype surrounding it right now, if he goes somewhere else, I'm just going to be crushed at this point. But uh, yeah, Sonny Gray, big contract to the Cardinals, three years, 75 mil. It's good for him. He definitely deserved it, I think, after his showing this year. Uh, Cardinals are going to be an interesting team to watch, I think. They're kind of stuck in that weird, I don't know if they're rebuilding mode. I don't know if they're going for a mode. I think this kind of indicates, hey, they believe in their talent. Um, sounds like they probably want to keep Arenado and Goldschmidt around if they're going to sign Sonny Gray. So... And that they got Lance Lynn too. Oh yeah, Lance Lynn. So maybe stocking up to make a run this year. Um, and then to close out, Jason Hayward re-signs with the Dodgers. One year, nine mil. Honestly, not upset about it. I think Mookie will be playing a lot more second base again uh, because Jason Hayward, I think the bat, you want a little bit more consistency, but you know he still has that gold glove level defense out there in right field. So 
you know, nine mil, you're not going to complain about that. Um, would like to see him just more in the outfield, though, not DH as much as he did this year. So uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be seeing him out in right field a lot more. But that'll wrap it up for MLB stuff. Uh, foolish Fools, Matt, why don't you get to your Foolish Fools here? Uh, yeah. Interesting picks. <laughs> yeah, well, the first I got two. Well, the first one is a team. I mean, we talked about this already. The Jets. Kind of, you know, a historical game. You mentioned it. Black Friday game. But I don't think personally I've ever seen somebody return a Hail Mary for a touchdown to end the half. That that to me is classic Jets. I don't even know how you allowed that. You just deserve to be on Foolish Fools if you if you do that. But that's the Foolish Fools of the week this week. Okay. Um, well, State of the 808, my update is congrats to Talia. We talk about him a decent amount, but he is now the Big Ten passing leader all time. So congrats oh, to him. Oh. Yeah. Pretty big accomplishment there. I mean, to be an all-time, Never guessed that. <laughs> yeah, all-time conference leader in any type of statistic is impressive. But, you know, Big Ten's had some pretty good quarterbacks come through. So for him to be the all-time leader uh, just goes to show his commitment, Uh, you know, four years. And hopefully he gets some kind of chance at the next level. I don't know if he'll get drafted. But an undrafted free agency kind of thing. You never know, right? Like a Tyson uh Bagent, Baggett, Bagent situation. Um, yeah, you never know. So, but good for him. Uh securing that he will forever be in the history books unless someone comes in and breaks that. But I don't know. With how team players are these days, no one really stays out of school for four years. So I could see him holding this record for a decent amount of time. Um Okay, that's my state of the day to wait. Uh, why don't you give us your sports fact of the day? All right, we are recording on November 27th, so we'll go back to 1966. Uh, this is the highest scoring NFL game. Washington Redskins defeat the New York Giants 72 to 41. Kind of insane that a team scored 70 points, but a team did score 70 points this year, you know? in the Miami Dolphins. So maybe that score will be broken one day. But I also want to give a shout out to uh, Sean Taylor. I saw that this was the 16th anniversary of his passing. Um, You know, one of the greatest defenders in his era, Um, kind of a tragic, you know, passing for him. So just wanted to shout out him. Uh, He's an animal. (laughs) So rest in peace to one of the greatest. He was, he was, Definitely one of those guys for sure. Um, on that note, okay, well, kind of long pod, but got everything we wanted to talk about. It's going to be an exciting football weekend. Um, so we'll be back next week. Um, other than that, thank you everyone for listening and watching, and we'll see you guys next week.